0: Hi, everyone. So I have a very special guest on the show today, and there's a little bit of a backstory that I have to share before I bring her on. But I am going to be speaking with Robin Lansong. And um, if you are by a computer, I would highly recommend that you bring up her website, robinlandsong.com, because there's some beautiful images on there. And we're going to be referring to some things that are on the website, and it would be easy for you to follow along that way. But I came to meet Robin actually at the Afterlife Awareness Conference, and um, I didn't realize it, but she was a vendor In the area, she wasn't presenting. And as many of you know, Mike and I went down to film that. And there was a really amazing uh, keynote speaker there by the name of Phil Borges, I believe his name was. And I remember Robin standing up. Uh, after his talk during the Q&A, and she shared a little bit of her near-death experience story. Again, not thinking anything of it, I thought that she was an attendee of the conference, and um, I think the next day I happened to go into the vendor area to do a little bit of filming and to take some pictures, and I came across this beautiful, magnificent blanket that had this image of this lion on it. And I fell in love with it. Those of you that have been following the podcast for a while, you know, that when I worked with, um, a shaman before she had let me know that one of my power animals was the lion. So I am fascinated with lions. I love lions. I'm super connected to them. And I fell in love with this blanket and it just so happened that I, I was walking towards Robin's table Now, the other part of this backstory is um, Lexi, who happens to be our assistant producer that schedules all these wonderful people for our podcast, was out there helping us filming. But before she came out, she had gotten bit by a dog because she's a vet tech uh, by day and uh, our assistant producer by night. So she was dealing with having to get shots in her hand and her hand healing. And we all were over by Robin's table and speaking to her and taking a look at the beautiful art that she had. And Robin began to tell us about a little bit more about her near death experience and how she was called back to life by a medicine song. And that's part of the work that she does, that she will uh, sing people's song to them. And she uses the gift of her voice and song to facilitate healing. So she had asked if she could sing into Lexi's hand. So we're all kind of looking at each other like, yeah, why not? So of course, Mike has his camera and we're filming it and I'm watching this whole thing take place. And The sound of her voice as soon as she started singing gave me chills and began to bring me to tears. But the really interesting thing that I noticed was that as she was singing into Lexi's hand where the wound was from the bite of the animal, the animal uh, eventually needed to be put down, but not because it bit her for other medical reasons, but um, what I saw was I saw very much the spirit of the dog needing to find healing and reconciliation and saw the spirit of this dog coming out of Lexi's hand, and I was just like, what the heck is happening? I was was blown away. I couldn't believe what I was seeing and experiencing, and I really saw this beautiful closure come to the animal That had you know wounded Lexi, and there was an amazing energetic release that had happened. So after I'm having this experience, you know, I said to Robin, "Wow, this is phenomenal. We we need to talk to you more. I want to be able to share your story, learn more about you, and hear more about what this means about a medicine song. Because what I witnessed was very hard to put into words. I had a very strong visceral reaction, uh, a very spiritual experience, and this was all in a matter of about maybe five minutes at most. So that is how we came to meet our next guest, Robin Lansong. Robin, welcome to our show. Mm, thank you so much. I'm really glad to be here. Yes, that was, uh, that was just such a crazy experience mm-hmm. for me. Uh, crazy and beautiful and touching. I mean, I think it's something, too, that I we will never forget there's certain moments in your life that when you witness something and you feel something on a very deep, profound spiritual level that you can never forget that. So I just want to thank you because you provided me with such an amazing gift of witnessing something in the metaphysical realm that I had never seen or experienced before. So thank you.
1: Mm-hmm. Most certainly my pleasure. Yeah. And And what I really loved about that moment is that you and I were perceiving exactly the same thing i know <laughs> and and that i was ex- directly experiencing that also of that the dog needed resolution that the dog was essentially sorry that it had gotten so you know distressed that it, it defended itself and that it really needed closure with her and and kind of coming out just like you spoke of to say sorry, to be done with it, to bring closure and, and that it really, you know, biting her wasn't anything against her. It was just really distressed because it wasn't well.
0: Right. Right. And she is doing much better and healed fairly quickly after that. So I'm sure she thanks you too.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Great.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, we have you on here because you really do have a phenomenal story. It is captured so beautifully. I mean, I could listen to you talk for hours. You're an amazing storyteller. Um, Just the way that you share your story on your website, um, it's about an over an hour long. And I really highly recommend our listeners to head over to our website after this podcast to really watch the beauty of how her story unfolds. But I would love for you to um, share with us about your near-death experiences during the Rhodesian War back in nineteen seventy-seven when you were eight years old and how you were called back to life by the medicine song of this rural Zimbabwean woman. Um and it's just a phenomenal story. So wherever you would like to begin, I am ready. Okay. Thank you for that for the invitation.
1: <clears throat> so like you were saying when I was eight years old, I was growing up in a household with where generationally there had been a fair amount of abuse and, and a lot of numbness. And so there wasn't speaking of truth and honesty was not present in the, in the generations before and also with my parents. And so unfortunately that numbness and that lack of connection to our instinct to protect each other led it that I was experiencing lots of abuse, neglect, and that I was exposed to a lot of unsafe adults. And so one of those unsafe adults, he um, he chose to abduct me. He took me out of the country. He was, it was 1977 after the Vietnam War, and literally the Rhodesian army, in, uh, which was Rhodesia then, is now Zimbabwe, was recruiting and literally had advertisements in American magazines of, the advertisement was, come be a man among men. And they were specifically targeting people who had, you know, already been through war or gun enthusiasts. And it said, you know, you can be here in a month fighting in war again. So he went to be a a fighter in that war. And for whatever reason, in his mental illness, he decided to take me with him. So he took me with him uh, into Rhodesia, now Zimbabwe. And after he was done his training, I think he had no place to keep me or put me. So he abandoned me mm-hmm. after he had assaulted me. And so I was literally alone in the bush in, in Africa and really having no idea like how to take care of myself, how I was going to survive really. And because it was war and it's a bit of a confusing war, there's three, at least three factions to this war. There was the white government There was a guerrilla soldiers, and there was another faction of black Africans. And so what happened is that I was actually picked up uh, by some of the soldiers that were were still a little bit figuring out some of the details, but I believe it was maybe some of the guerrilla soldiers, and taken to a place. And they actually had an argument over me about whether to end my life or to help me and take me to people who might be sympathetic to a white child and get me uh, potentially out of the country. Um, so I just recently found out those that fact of my most recent return back. And so obviously the person who was arguing for my life won, and he took me to a village, and they were sympathetic to helping me, and they took me in. And there I experienced mothering and family and community for the first time in my life and literally when I arrived I spent the night outside the village by myself because I heard barking dogs and in the morning I heard singing and the women were singing while they were preparing the food they were grinding the corn and I wanted to be closer to this singing because it was full of life it was full of generosity it was full of kindness So I took the risk of, you know, moving closer to these people when I was very afraid of people and, and the women saw me Mm -hmm. and they ended up kind of offering out food and water. And so I came in closer and it was really the children that welcomed me in and the children came over and they touched my hair that was blonde at the time and they touched my white skin. And keep in mind that they really didn't have much mixing of being with white people because that was there was such an economic gap that they didn't really, um, you know, they didn't go to school with white children or play with white children. So this was probably the first time being that close, and they were very curious about me. And they ended up taking me to the fire circle. And one of the older girls, she was probably about 13, began to tell a story and this is most likely in Venda, so it's not English and I can't understand her story, but I can tell it's about me. And it's really storying me into her community. And I realized, you know, for her, it was a complete mystery why this white child alone would arrive in her village. And so she was talking about the origination of how I arrived in her, in her village. And while she was telling this story, she's drawing on me with the charcoal from the fire pit. And I, for the first time in my life, feel included. I feel special. I feel the center of good attention. And all the children think this is fun, so they start joining in and drawing on me with the black charcoal from the fire pit. And they're making me like them. They're making me black. And I am just so delighted that I actually relax and start laughing. And then I get worried like, oh no, what if I get in trouble for laughing? And again, what happens next is an even deeper level of becoming part of. One of the women I sat down and she's watching all this and she's laughing and she thinks it's all very fun too. And and she starts singing to me and gesturing to call me over to her. And she's calling me in with her song. She's calling me in with her presence and her safety. And I go towards her. I don't even notice that the other children go off to play. And she's melting my defense with her singing. And again, I feel this amazing connection from all of the life around, like she is singing to everything living, including me, and that I am part of this life. And I get closer to her, and she wants me to turn around so she can see all of me. <clears throat> And from being assaulted by the abductor, I have my entire side of my ribs are um, <clears throat> broken and bruised. And, and so I'm defending myself so no one touches my ribs. But her song is filling me up and nourishing me. and And this deep, hollow place inside me from feeling like I'm worthless. She's singing the remedy for that worthless feeling. And I get closer and closer to her until finally her song relaxes me so much and she has her arms on my shoulders and I literally collapse in her arms and she continues to sing to me and to rock me in her arms and this is the first true mothering I've experienced in my life. And so I become part of, and there's another woman who also takes care of me and mothers me. And one day they take me to the river and they undress me and, you know, they see this huge purple bruise on my side and they cover it with clay and they start singing it, singing, singing their healing song. And it's very intense and very fierce And I understand, just like you did while I was singing, that what they're doing is they're getting his hatred off my body, that when he was assaulting me, he was kicking me in my ribs, that his hatred kind of got infiltrated with me, and that they're singing that off, and they're using the clay to help heal the bruise, help heal this experience of being overwhelmed by his hatred. And when they are done, they are calling me to sing with them, and so I'm very shy at first, but because of their warmth and their accepting and their role modeling of this singing, I begin to sing as they do. You know, I'm eight years old and I'm doing the best I can. And of course, it's not big and grand like their song. But when I can sing again, they consider me well. That that to them is a sign that I recovered from this trauma and that I am well again because I can sing and I have my singing voice back. And, you know, being eight years old, being American, I had no idea the context of the war that we were in. And one day, you know, again, feeling safer than I have before, I wander too far from the village. I go back to that same spot on the river where where they did this healing for me. And unbeknownst to me, there was a battle that was starting nearby in the field. And one of the soldiers who was on the edge of that field close to the river, he spotted me. And when I realized his eyes were on me, I froze like a rabbit. And very quickly, he brought up his rifle. And when his gun barrel was just a circle, I knew that I, was, I had no place to escape. I was done. And when I heard the... I saw his finger pull the trigger and I heard the gunfire and I very instinctually turned to begin to run, but it was too late. And the bullet grazed the top of my head and it blew me off my feet. And when I was laying on the ground, my body vomited and I was praying for anyone from my village to come find me right then, praying for them to come help me and take me back into their shelter and what happened is that the life force in my body was pulsing in and out of my chest and i was seeing this from above i was no longer in my body but i was up above watching the vitality the life force just move out of my chest and move back in and i thought if that doesn't go back in and stay i'm going to die and it was pulsing out too far and i watched my body just go into a dormancy, a blackout, I watched it die. And then all of a sudden my consciousness and my life force rushed back through my body, rushed out the back of my heart, and I was in a really beautiful, wasn't so much a tunnel, it was like being on a flawless, fast light rail and I was transported ever so quickly. It was perfectly smooth and I was perfectly held. And when I came out on the other side, I was very disoriented. I didn't know what I was, who I was. I had no sense of a body. And then two hands touched me and these hands brought me back together. They were loving and they were feminine. And they brought my sense of self back together. I coalesced again. And then I could see again, and it was two young black women. And I knew them, they were like my sisters. And and they showed me a golden glowing sphere. And I knew if I went with them into that golden sphere, I would be perfectly healed. Everything would be good. And this sphere would never be diminished by all my need. It would heal me and it would still glow just as bright. But then I thought, oh, if I go in the golden sphere, I don't get to come back. And I thought, oh, I just found family and I, they've named me Aisha in a naming ceremony and I don't wanna lose my newfound family. So I started grasping for my life again. And this sent me backwards away from this scene with my two sisters, away from the golden glowing sphere and I started falling backwards in slow motion, and it was like falling kind of through uh, leaves and <clears throat> that were lowering me down slowly. And when I landed, I was in some place entirely different, and it was cold and damp, sort of like Ireland on a rainy, cloudy day. And I thought, oh, what have I done? I had it better before in this, you know near the golden glowing sphere with my two sisters. And so I started trying to get up, but I was really weak and very feeble. And out of nowhere, there was all of a sudden a man next to me, an old man. And he looked like he was on death's door. And I really looked around and there was old worn stairs that looked like thousands of people had gone down these stairs. And I didn't know where I was, but I wanted to stand up but I couldn't stand up on my own. I didn't want to have to accept help from this old man that I didn't know who he was. But he was offering out his arm to help stabilize me. So I took his arm, and it was far steadier than I ever imagined it would be. And I thought, who is this that's so steady and has just arrived out of nowhere? And I didn't know where what to do next, but he was gesturing for me to walk down the next flight of stone stairs. So since it was my only instructions, I followed with him. And something was dripping on my shoulder. I thought maybe it was something that's from the sky above. I put my hand on my shoulder and realized it was blood dripping on my shoulder, and it was coming from my head. And I realized I was profusely bleeding. And I showed it to him and I was panicked and he he nodded his head. He understood And that's why he wanted me to go down the stairs. So I went down the stairs with him. And next, what I saw was the entrance to a dark cave. And I thought, oh, wow, I really had it better before up in that golden glowing sphere. I should have taken that route. So he was gesturing that we were gonna go in this dark cave and I thought, "Mm mm-mm. But he was very convincing, he was very steady. So I held on to his arm and we went into this dark cave. And, and it was completely dark and I had to really hold on to his guidance. And what happened in that dark cave was all my unexpressed fear and cries and screams from the abuse I had lived through were in that dark cave. And the kind of the ghosts of all the adults who abused me were coming at me from all these directions. And it was very terrifying experience. And what happened next is that I was trying to get away from it but he was holding me still and for just a moment I saw myself through his eyes and I saw that the abuse wasn't my fault I saw that it was the confusion and the distress of the adults and their unhealed history and that it was never my fault I could never have done it right and that I could never have been perfect and that there was actually nothing wrong with me. And when I realized there was nothing wrong with me, all the screaming stopped, all the ghosts coming at me stopped, and it was quiet and peaceful. And we went out the other side of the cave. And when we went out, it opened up into this beautiful night sky. And I've done my best to draw some of these experiences. And And so it was a night sky and the stars were like living relatives. And I asked him where in my mind, where are we going next? Because we didn't need to talk. We could just speak telepathically directly. And he implied that we were going off this cliff. We were going to jump off this cliff and we were going to fly. And when I did, it was so peaceful. It was like birds resting on the wind And he said telepathically to me, this is dying. And I thought, well, this is peaceful, held, and completely guided, and that there's nothing to fear about death. And I continued on, and we fell from night sky into morning sky. And there again was the golden glowing sphere. And he gestured, go there. And he trusted me to make my own decision. And so he flew off in one direction, and I was left with the golden glowing sphere ahead of me. And I thought, oh, that was so incredible. I would love to tell my new African family about this man and this experience. I wonder where my my African family is. And I looked down, and there was a grass field down below me. And I thought, maybe they're down there. And I forgot all about the golden glowing sphere, the easier path. And so I went down into this grass field to try and find them and I landed and I all of a sudden got scared that maybe maybe something terrible has happened to them maybe they've been injured or shot and I have to find them to help them and I was panicked and I started running in this grass that was getting taller and taller and more like a maze I couldn't make my way through and I was calling out to them but nobody was responding Mm -hmm. and I was so worried that they were all injured And I I ran until I was exhausted and I laid down in the grass and I cried and tried, cried until I was like a storm cleared out. And what happened next, once I was all cleared out from my grief and my wailing, I heard a rustle. And I got up and I crawled through the grass and through the grass, I saw a man and I went to him and he was the presence of peace I wanted to find somebody who could help me get me back to my village, but in his presence I couldn't remember why I would ever be distressed. In his presence I felt so like a mountain lake without a ripple. And I stood before him and all of a sudden his face started changing. He, His original face looked like he had a beard and kind of long hair. and. And he was wearing a robe, and he had a sheepherder staff. And all of a sudden, his face changed to a lion. And then his face changed to a child. And then I thought, oh, I would love to show this to Ato, one of the men in the village. And his face changed to Atto. And I became delighted with this kaleidoscope man of kindness. And what happened next is that he gave me an incredible gift. He leaned his forehead to mine, and I could see as he sees. And I saw this living matrix that we are all gems of light in this living matrix. And we have these lines that connect us like golden spider webs. And this matrix of lines is ever dynamic, ever changing. And we can strengthen our lines of connection with our focus and our love. And he drew his forehead back from mine, and I could see his face again. And I had such complete trust, total faith in him, that I wanted to know where we were going next. And I leaned my whole being into his. And he took me out of that field. We went through a tunnel, and we arrived above my body into the scene where I had been shot. And by then, my my mama, my African mama, had found me, and she had pulled her body up on my lap. And I was so sad that my face couldn't smile to show her how delighted I was that she was rocking me back and forth in her arms. And she was wailing into the sky, and I was above her with my guide, And I wanted to comfort her, I wanted to let her know that I'm okay, I'm totally held, I'm not in pain, and I'm completely guided. And so we left that scene, I went up above, continued on into into this tunnel of light, and beings were healing me and taking away any last of the child abuse, injuries, any self-esteem problems I still had. And I was getting closer and closer to original source that I call the great heart. And I could feel the pulsing of this great heart, the place where we're all sung into being by this great heart, where we're a sound that's sung by the great heart and that that's our origination. And I was so close when I began to hear this other singing. And it was my African mother. She was changed her wailing into singing while she was holding my body in this realm. And I was hearing her through the veil in the other realm. And she had called on the ancestors to call, find a calling song so strong it would find me where I was. And I paused in my going forward, going home to the great heart. And I listened to her song. And in that moment, it instantly wiped away the cloud that was covering my memory of my purpose. I instantly remembered that I'm a singer. I'm a medicine singer like her, like she sang to me when I came in, like she was singing to me now this calling song to help me remember I hadn't done my purpose yet. And so I wanted to be part of the choir of medicine singers again. And that turned me around in the tunnel. I came back. And at the final <clears throat> veil before I came back, I met another being. She was the mother of all of us, the original mother. And her skin was the color of brown, rich. And, and she within her, she held all races. Her eye color changed to include all races. And she sang to me like I was a cathedral and she was singing a song of praise. And she sang to me this remembering that when I went back, it was going to be hard. I was going to have to do things that didn't match my ethics in order to survive. I was going to have to live through more years of abuse and being shut down. But to never forget the songs. And that when I was safe, she would give me the songs back for me to sing to myself and to sing to others to help them in their healing. And with that, I came back to my body. I came back to this life and my village took care of me. They put plants on the top of my head to get the hatred from the bullet off my head. And they sang to me. And I would like to say that that was the end. But unfortunately, what happened is about two days later, the soldiers came back and they attacked the village. And I barely made it out with my life. Um, I I was only able to look back and see those who had not survived, who were on the ground. And from that experience, I lost the other mother who was so good to me. I was not able to pull her with me. And I also had, I only made it so far and I had a whole nother death experience. And then I'll save for for another, another interview so we can have other conversation. And from there I was um, taken in, I was found by some other people who, another woman. And when she took me back to her village, a wounded white child who was barely alive, others saw that she had taken in basically the oppressor, the enemy. And they said, don't bother with her. It's too dangerous for you to have a wounded white child. From the white side, you could be accused of kidnapping. And from the guerrilla side, you could be accused of siding with the enemy, which was life-threatening. And she said to them, I won't throw her away. She's a living human being. And it is that courage, that valuing of my life, even though it was gonna make hers more difficult. That is my mission. That my, what I wanna bring in the world is ways to remind ourselves to take good care of each other, even when it's a risk, even when it's uncomfortable. And that that translates to oppression and racism and homophobia, and the ways that we can be good to each other and and take good care of one another and help each other when we need help and give each other shelter when we need shelter. So that just instilled in me this deep value of <clears throat> going beyond you know, just my own healing to be of service to other people's healing. Um, and so that family got me across the river, out of Zimbabwe, across the Limpopo River into South Africa and they delivered me to the closest white people uh, that were in South Africa, the farmers. And from there, my body really just started to collapse from the stress and the, all the trauma. I might've also had an infection. And so they sent me to a hospital in um, Polokwane. And from there, um, it was figured out, you know, where I was from, that I was American. And my parents were contacted and I was basically put on a plane Uh, and sent back to America. Um, Sadly, when I got back, again, that generational silence in my family, that lost ability to speak of the truth and the perceived preservation of safety by not telling the truth. When the very first morning I was back, I tried to speak of what happened. I tried to speak of like, you know, I was part of this village. And I might have said something to my mother, like, I have to get back to my real mother. She told me to never talk about it again. She hit me across the face. And keep in mind, I have a brain injury, I'm recovering from my, you know, having a bullet the top of my head, I'm recovering from all this trauma. So I went underneath my bed and remembered, I have to just be the shell of a child. I can't speak the truth. I can't sing the songs. I can't be the vibrant child that I became when I was in that village. And I just put myself away for years to come and at 19 I left home and never went back and began my healing journey and you know with the help of so many people and so many different methods of healing I've really been able to transform the post-traumatic stress and And I really had such a deep passion to do this healing work again because I had been so held and so helped. It had just put open something in my heart that I wanted to also contribute to other people's healing through the singing. I do. I got trained in craniosacral therapy, and and all these experiences really opened my intuition, which is just a wonderful gift to have. Because, you know, as you experienced. I am able to see into people's health, see into their body and really see what's needed, what the medicine is that's needed at that time for that person. So that's my that's my story
0: yes that's a very condensed version but um you know and i would encourage people to go over to your website to hear even the more extensive story of it because you know the other the other beautiful piece um on your website is also watching your whole journey unfold of you returning back there returning Mm -hmm. back to the land i mean the synchronicities of the story of how you were able to find um I believe it was the second woman that took you in that said that she was not going to throw you away as a human being and the chance of how you guys reunited there and to be able to hold each other again. And for you to, um, I guess get really validation for what Mm -hmm. had happened. You know, I found it very moving. And I would tell people, get your tissues ready because (laughs) uh, you will cry during this. I mean, I was like bawling my eyes out, but I totally understood that moment where you were able to feel that feeling of how the trauma was no longer being held inside of your body, but it was outside. It was like something was able to shift and move with the validation uh, that you received and going back there and putting all these pieces together.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: yeah and, and really the key thing too is i started writing my story down 10 years ago right and as most trauma survivors it was in parts and pieces and it wasn't cohesive so you know people would ask oh is your book ready and it's like well <laughs> i have to you know deepen my healing of all the trauma to make it a cohesive story and then stay with it long enough to make meaning that it's useful to other people that it's not just a regurgitation of my trauma so writing down my story really took a decade and my husband was just an incredible support in that he would interview me had all kinds of people who would just you know read over it ask me more questions and that prompted my memory to fill in to be have it become the cohesive story that it now is and and i think it was probably five We purposely didn't do any research so that I wouldn't be influenced for about five years of the writing. And then about seven years into the writing, we started to do research into the Rhodesian War and see if we could find where was I and, you know, is what I'm remembering, does it make sense? And everything kept lining up. Everything made sense with historical accounts, which was incredibly validating to me because, again, keep in mind, I... I grew up from eight years old till I left home at 19, you know, being told like, you you know, you're, you make things up, you exaggerate things to get attention, you know, all kind of the classic things that abused kids are told, so they won't, won't tell other people that they're being abused. And, you know, that all my physical symptoms were just because I was trying to get attention and... What was actually happening in my body by the time I was 16 was the stress and the the trauma was so intense, I was literally collapsing and my heart rate would be undetectable and my breath would be undetectable, which is called dorsal vagal shutdown, which I'm now fully trained in and know all about. Um, but I literally had to be resuscitated with the uh, mm-hmm. electropads repeatedly because that's how stressed my body was. So... So when I started doing the research and everything kept lining up, my memory was totally in line with historical accounts, with other people's accounts. It was incredibly healing, incredibly validating. And so we went back. Um, we found Mayamu, who was the granddaughter of the woman who said, "I won't throw her away." And I mean, it literally was seven degrees of separation of you know, I met this person, they connected me to this person, that person knew somebody in Botswana, that person knew somebody in Zimbabwe, right in the right area. And it was an incredible journey to do the research, because what we would do is, my husband would bring up pictures of Africa, and I would say, no, the huts had a different color um, thatching, or, you know, the, the doors looked this way. And so he was... You know, kind of being my researcher, and he would occasionally purposely throw in pictures from other faraway areas zim you know, not in Zimbabwe. And I would say, nope, I've never seen that. I've never been there. And so through that process of me saying yes and no to different pictures, we narrowed it down to a hundred mile area. And most everything I said yes to was in a 20 mile area. Wow. Yeah, that was a really (laughs) incredible process. And then we found a tree that I said, it's that tree, is where I spent the night, the first night. And then he found out that that was a tree that only grew in a certain area. So that really pinned it down for us. And then the journey was to find people, which was incredible. And so we ended up finding Vanessa and David Bristow, who live right near the Marimani community. And they would have been there at the time, but it was so dangerous that people were just fleeing from the war. So the Bristos weren't actually even there during the war. Um, and so we connected with them, and they were so generous and so welcome. They said, yes, you can come stay with us. They ended up finding Mayamu for me. They interviewed us and sent her this video, this couple-minute video interviewing her about what she remembered about the wounded white child. Mm -hmm. And when she gestured on top of her head to gesture where I had the head wound from the bullet, it was exactly where my head wound was. And so we knew we had found the right person because we purposely, in our descriptions about what happened to me, did not name where the wound was. Ah. So that we could know that, you know, somebody wasn't making it up. Right. So that was, you know, from there, I bought my plane ticket. It was... And and an incredible thing to happen, of course, the trip to Africa is very expensive. And so I did a crowd fundraiser. People from around the world funded that trip, people who didn't even know me. I just made videos and put them on on the YouTube and did a Kickstarter. And I was the most loving thing that people gave me all the money for that trip to return back so I could reunite with Mayamu. And that was healing right there. Right. And, and so when you were saying about the synchronicities and this, we have video of this, uh, you know, on the video that you're speaking of on my website and on YouTube, we were literally just driving in. We hadn't made an arrangement to meet up with Mayamo yet. We were driving in. Keep in mind, this is a very rural area. It's a dirt road. You know, it's a huge sector. And while we're driving in, guess who's coming out on their donkey (laughs) cart? I, I just can't believe it. I know. I, I know. And Vanessa says she hardly, like, she hadn't seen Miami on the road, that road, and, like, they only run into each other, like, every couple of years. <laughs> and so John looks over, and he says, isn't that Miami? And, you know, he just happened to recognize her among the three mm-hmm. African women on the on this donkey cart. So they pull over, and we pull over, and Miami and I have this reunion after 40 years after the war. And she's literally picking me up and holding me. And and then she leans me forward and checks and makes sure the wound on the top of my head is all healed. Mm -hmm. And it was the most validating healing moment of my entire life. And all the invalidation from my family, all the disbelief, all the years of being told, you know, you exaggerate, you make things up, you're a liar. It was gone because she loved me and knew me and knew exactly where it was. So beautiful, yeah. <laughs> and the whole trip was like that. The whole trip was incredible synchronicities. We found where my village was. We found in both the hospitals I'd been in. I found the tree I spent the night in. I found where I was shot. It was I couldn't believe. I thought I never imagined we would have that much success. And we did another return trip this past April, and. Again, just more validation. Found more people who remembered me. One woman she looked at me and she said, Oh, you've grown. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, (laughs) yeah. We found another location that I had still been repressing, and where lots of more trauma happened. And it just was an incredible experience to go back and have more information and more and more connection again to the people they. The the two really highlights of this past story were I did find out that I was in the hands of the guerrilla soldiers and they had that argument over whether to kill me or to save me, which was a really chilling moment to you know have somebody else telling me the story. Right. And and then the community decided to do a ceremony and include me so I could have a vision again from the ancestors. Oh wow. And so for them to include a white person is really quite unheard of in ceremony. And when I met with the lead Sungama, the, the medicine man, and they were kind of presenting me to him saying, will you do a ceremony with her? He just looked me over and he looked me over and I was kind of energetically checking him out too because I wanted to make sure it was going to be a safe experience for me also. And he looked at me and he started laughing and laughing and laughing and he said, yeah, I'll do a ceremony with this one. And and I did have a vision. It was the drumming and the song, just like I remember from childhood. And, and the vision that I received was of a thorn, a huge, huge thorn in the side of humanity. And the ancestors told me, take the thorn out. And I said, I don't know how. And they said, stop disowning your power. You know, take responsibility for your power. They said, put your hand up to the thorn. So I did. And they said, now pull your hand back. And the thorn came out. And once the thorn was out, I realized the thorn isn't bad itself. It's no problem when it's not, you know, stuck in the side of someone. And, and I asked, what is the thorn made of? And they said, us, them thinking, you know, thinking I am less than or that person's superior. So, you know, the the root of racism, the root of economic disparity, the root of, I deserve to be poor, you deserve to be wealthy. And so that that division that lack of connection that lack of seeing another's humanity and and so i thought wow <laughs> you know this is my assignment i'm not sure how to go about it and i think it will take my lifetime and other people's help to really understand what that looks like and what that mission is and here's the fascinating thing so you know my assignment is to take the thorn out of people's us them thinking this division thinking and the next day, we were driving to go to that place where I was, take, you know, taken by the to the guerrilla soldiers. And I set my hand down on the seat in the Land Rover, and a bee stung me in the center of my palm. <laughs> of course, <laughs> <laughs> right, right in the center of my palm. And so I'm like, oh, gosh, you know, I've got this bee sting still in here. And um, Tarquin, who's the son of Vanessa and Digby, who is our translator, lovely human being, he gets tweezers and he's pulling this thorn out of the center of my palm. And I thought, now isn't that interesting? I need to have my thorn taken out before I can be of service to help take out other people's thorn.
0: Mm, There you go. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) and And why do you th- why do you think that medicine man, when he was looking you over, was laughing?
1: Um, I think we were both, and you know we were both energetically seeing each other. And wow. you know, I think he could see my connection to the ancestors in the land there and and to the to the people I had lost, and especially the two women who were mothers to me. Yeah. and at the same time, I'm seeing into him this long lineage of his ancestors. It was like fifty people standing behind him. It was
0: really quite a great vision. Wow. Wow. Phenomenal. So let me ask you a little bit about, too, about the singing that you do and, and hearing other people's songs. So, I mean, are we made up of sound? How are you able to work with a person and hear their music or hear their song? Or how does one put it into music in order to call the soul back to remind them? hmm And so...
1: So I'm listening to the song that's in the land, the song that's in the person, and then I have kind of a um, you know a repertoire of medicine songs that I was born with, and so it, it's kind of a combo of all of those things. Okay. And and so I so for some people I have to listen quite a while. So especially if they're from like when I sing to people from Australia, um, if they're Maori and you know from indigenous from the land. Because I'm not from there, it does take me quite a while and I kind of get close, but I have to probably sing to them for like a day in order to really get their song. And so for Americans who are on this land, um, it's a lot easier for me since I live on this land also. And, and so I'm just really relaxing, letting it come through me. I'm being the hollow bone and letting it be a mystery. And so for I hear it a moment before it comes through me. And so I'm not so much making the sound like you would if you were you know, singing a written song, is I'm hearing it as it's coming out of me. And it's just a matter of being the hollow bone, letting it come through and finding the sweet spot. So when I find something that feels so rich, so resonant, so yummy, I just do more of that. And that keeps leading me towards what's medicine for this person right now. And when my husband and I, we actually do the singing medicine together because he also has medicine singing in him, is that we go around and we sing to each person in the group and they're really different. Sometimes they're intense and fiery and sometimes they're very quiet and nurturing. So, again, it's just asking ourselves, what's medicine to this person now? And I'm using my my. Uh, I, I like to call it being a health intuitive. A lot of people call it a medical intuitive. I'm not as fond about that term because I'm not looking to diagnose or be part of the Western med- medical system. And so I'm looking for people's health. I'm looking for their distress. I'm looking for their original rhythm in their body and and doing my best to sing that back to them.
0: Wow. That's so cool. <laughs> um I, I wish we had a little extra time. Would you be open to maybe even coming back for another show um, where maybe we could do some of that, where you and I can sit and people can, you know, witness through our process how this works, you know, with you and with a client and have you sing uh, my song to me? I know we, we mentioned that that might be able to happen, but I don't want to rush through it. Oh, I'd like I, to, you know, give it I would love to. Yeah. I mean I would love to do it right now if that's okay with you. Oh you would? Okay. Yeah, we have about ten minutes. Is that oh. too short of a time or oh no, that's plenty of time. Okay. So yeah. what exactly is there anything that I need to do? Um, just settle into your
1: body, sense your own breath, watch your body sensations as you're so good at doing. I already know from our other experience together. And just see just see what moves in your body. <clears throat> All of my work is really about embodiment. And I know there's some spiritual healing practitioners who focus a lot, like kind of up and out and in universal energy, and that's great. I'm very much an earth person. I'm very much like helping people get back in their body because I think, you know, certainly trauma, illness, injury, all those things, it's easy to leave our body. So being home, residing in our body, residing in our cells helps the vitality of our health. And therefore, really helps us do our mission when we're home in our body helps us be able to know and live our purpose Mm -hmm. so i'm just listening i'm checking in i'm listening to internal i'm listening to your field i'm listening to your relations and is there a a female who's really important to you who's either um sick or struggling right now that you're concerned about Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so would you like to have me sing to her also sure Mm -hmm. so first I'll do the song for you and then I'll let you know what I'm going to sing for her also
2: okay okay
1: Together that which has been disparate bringing together rejoining two things that need to learn from one another within yourself that which maybe in the past needed to be separated out so you could keep going bringing it back together so you can really feel your wholeness your wholeness as a woman, your wholeness as a human being to feel that cohesive bringing together of the different time periods of yourself, self-kindness, self-forgiveness.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm.
1: So is there anything you want to get across to me about what you noticed or felt?
0: Um, Well, I had some physical sensations. I mean, I'm recovering from a little bit of a head cold, too. So I felt energy moving out of my nose. Um, I felt stuff in my heart. I had some physical sharp pains um, Mm -hmm. in the gut and in the stomach. And then that subsided a little bit. Um, And then, you know, just kind of like peace and listening to the music or listening to uh, Mm -hmm. the sound. Uh, come out and just allow it to relax me a little bit. And after you stopped, I felt like I was still traveling with it. Like uh, the energy and movement, it felt very similar to water, but mm-hmm. as if it, even though you had stopped, it had not stopped, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And does that resonate for you about that? There's kind of two aspects that need to be brought together to kind of just feel... Have it be easier to feel your wholeness?
0: Probably if I sat with it a little bit more and -hmm. and thought about that. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right and
0: are you ready for me to sing to
1: this female relation? Sure. And is it a physical illness or is it a circumstance of distress?
0: It's probably both. Okay.
1: So I'm just going to begin with a prayer for her safety, her safety within herself, within her own nervous system, so that she feels empowered to get herself safe -safe in her external world and her around her.
2: I am. Um, and I pray for
1: her self honesty, her honesty to stop lying to herself that she's not good enough, that she's not a whole person, that she deserves to be harmed. And replace that with the truth that she is whole, that she deserves safety, that she deserves respect and kindness and to build that within herself, that self-kindness, that self-compassion, so that it becomes natural and easy to create that in her relationships around her and to no longer tolerate being treated less than, being treated as if she's not fully the intelligence that she is. May her guidance be easily available, easy for her to understand. May she feel her connection to the land, to the earth underneath her feet, to her origination may she feel the support of her well ancestors skipping past any ancestors who are not yet ready to give good guidance skipping past those generations that are confused and going beyond that to the generations and her ancestors who are well enough to guide her that she's a whole valuable woman a whole valuable human being that she has a gift and a purpose And that in order to do that, she needs to take the best care of herself. So she's also taking the best care of her gift and her purpose and her mission that she has been called to do in this lifetime. Don't quies.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I hope that is of of service to her or anybody else who may have needed to hear some part of that. Yes.
0: <clears throat> Thank you.
1: Hmm. <sighs> hmm. Sounds like that really touched something.
0: Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty. Sorry, I'm a mess. I
2: cry,
0: okay. Clearly, uh, Robin, what do you do to me? <laughs> um, yes. You're not the only one who said that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I've I've been pretty open with our um, with well with my my listeners and stuff, and they know some of the trials and tribulations that I've gone through with, um, my mom who has struggled with addiction. So I feel like you were picking up on her. Mm -hmm. Um, and she is not physically, she's not physically well. Um, her safety is, is being jeopardized, uh, in a very violent uh, relationship that she's in with a man. And I think that she's also kind of, Towards the end of uh, possibly her life, um, just she's uh, struggling back with addiction. Her health is not well. I've been pretty estranged from her, but the last uh, contact that I had with her was uh, she was hospitalized due to uh, him beating her. Oh. So, no, yeah, no, that's that's okay. I mean, you know nothing of this. So the fact that you wanted to pray for her safety and how you, you know, prayed, over her for that um yeah it's pretty emotional because I you know I just don't haven't haven't heard where she is or know where she is if she's safe or if she's okay and as you were singing that song um and I don't know what this means but everything from my crown chakra it just completely released like I just felt like I was being pulled upward like she was being pulled upward um Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's uh, it's something that has been weighing quite heavily um, on me. So thank you very much. And I I do pray that those songs of uh, safety will get to her because, you know, if she will be making a transition, I just, I hope it is a safe one, you know, when that does happen. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. And just the...
1: It feels like the key crux for her is that taking responsibility that she is a worthwhile human being. And and that's so hard for so many people and that we really, um, I'm actually writing a book, you know, in addition to my memoir that I'm um, doing the final touches on, I'm writing a book on healing trauma. Because exactly this, of so many people are gifted or have a, have a mission, but they haven't been able to get to it because they're recycling the trauma in their body, in their nervous system and how trouble recognizing safe relationships and honoring themselves enough to be in safe relationships.
0: Yes. Yeah. I mean, and her story is, is a sad one, you know, she has had a ton of trauma and it's just never, I think, like you said, it has been recycled. Um, You know, it's just kind of sad to see her, you know, her late sixties and, you know, it's still it's still happening. So my prayers for her, too, is that this can be broken before maybe she makes that transition, if that's what's supposed to happen.
1: Mm-hmm. And congratulations for you for breaking it in your generation. Yes. Thank you. I've worked very hard at that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it does take a lot of work. Yes. Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. And and ongoing always so yep work 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 right yeah. <laughs> I, I had a one woman when I was uh, speaking at a conference and she said well when do you get done healing and I and <laughs> I didn't mean to be disrespectful to her but I just burst out laughing and I was like well I think at your last exhale and then you just go on to the next lifetime and you begin learning again so it is just a refinement and certainly we can get past I'm definitely past the gritty what I call the gritty years of trauma recovery right and much more into the gift years but I still need to work on things on a you know things come up or I get triggered or you know some deeper level of healing needs to happen so I'm just honoring everyone who has values and puts in the time and the resources to create healing for themselves and create healing for other people because it's the more I'm I have a huge stack of I'm reading 15 books right now on healing trauma. And the key is is connection and safe connection with others and ideally community, which is something Americans are, you know, sometimes struggle figuring out. And so it really is just this like moments like you and I are connecting. You know, I'm, I'm hearing the suffering and the potential of your mom and just being there with each other, witnessing each other, compassionate witnesses, very big medicine.
0: Yes. Yes. I agree. Well, thank you so much mm-hmm. <laughs> just for this, for who you are, the beautiful work that you're doing. Um, I'm so happy you found your voice. You're finding other people's songs. You're singing it back to them. I just think you're, you're a wonderful, beautiful soul. And I am so grateful that our paths cross and I hope that we can have you back on again. Sounds great. I hope I get the chance to do some more personal work with you because I would love, uh, you know, to do an individual session and maybe some in-depth work. Um, as well, like you said, there's, there's always work to be done. So, Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Robin. And I hope uh, I hope everyone enjoyed this. There's so much more to Robin too. Please uh, visit her website, robinslandsong.com. and um, and anything we can do, Robin, to help you out, you just uh, let us know. Okay, yeah, maybe
1: when I have my uh, my trauma resolution book done. It's called When You Need a Miracle, and it's uh, I'm about halfway through writing it, and it's a very it's a great process. So maybe we
0: can talk more about that when I'm further along. Okay. I would love that. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Path 11 podcast today. I hope you all enjoyed this show. And if you haven't checked out our Patreon page, I'd like you to do so because we are going to start putting some content over there that is only for our Patreon subscribers. You can get content for as little as donating a dollar a month and it could just be a one-time donation. We have other freebies over there that you can get depending upon how much you would like to donate. And again, it could be a one-time donation or you can continue to keep your subscription on a monthly basis at that donation level, but I just put my MBT Immersive Experience, which was a four-day intensive meditation training in Tennessee with physicist Tom Campbell. I was listening to binaural beats, going to altered states of consciousness, having out-of-body experiences and life-changing experiences that I was able to bring back uh, for myself, for my clients, for my friends that was just out of this world. So if you would like to listen to that, I'd like you to head on over to path11podcast.com. You're going to see an orange button that says Patreon. Become a Patreon today and you can have access to that podcast. And I would like to remind you to head on over to path11productions.com and check out the membership that we have for the Afterlife Awareness Conference. We have over 25 hours of footage with amazing speakers like William Buhlman, Thomas John, Terry Daniel, Suzanne Geisman, Suzanne Northrup, Linda Fitch, uh, Austin Wells, just a few people uh, to name off that were amazing. These workshops are just so valuable. So I think that you would really enjoy it. It's also a great thing to think about to maybe give the gift to somebody who is struggling with grief. If you are looking for resources, this is a great conference to send people to to check out. And thanks again for listening today.